0: And welcome to That's Debatable, the weekly news podcast of the Free Speech Union. A legendary British Olympian, the UK's top female swimmer throughout the 1980s, a leading BBC sports pundit and author of a new book, Unfair Play, The Battle for Women's Sport. We're delighted to welcome someone who needs really, it's a cliche to say it, but she needs no introduction, (laughs) Sharon Davies, MBE. Welcome, so that's debatable, the Free Speech Union podcast. Oh, thank you.
1: Thank you. That was a nice little intro. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I've just been around a long time, basically. Oh, that's, that is that's not what I meant <laughs> by that. That's what it comes down, that. down <laughs> to. That's not
0: what I meant by that at all. I am so excited to have you on, Sharon, because, well, it, interestingly, normally I'd be on with Ben. Ben's away today. And when we talk um, every week, we, he always goes back to the Roman Empire. So he ends up... <laughs> not that long. I've been that much. long. <laughs> He talks about uh, the decline and fall, he read, he read uh, Edward Gibbon, uh, and so he gets really excited about anything that's Roman, and he's going to be really annoyed that I was talking to a real-life gladiator while he was away. Ah. And I have to say, you're the first gladiator we've had, had on, because you were on that show in the 90s.
1: Absolutely, 95. I tried very hard not to be a gladiator for quite a long time. So I presented the kids series with Daily Thompson, and my husband at the time, Derek Redmond, um, was a sort of a coach on the show. And Nigel Lithco, who was the producer, kept asking and asking and asking. And I, you know, I'd spent all my life being Sharon Davis the swimmer. And um, I just knew that this show was so big that I would sort of lose part of my identity, at least with the whole generation. And eventually I gave in because it was such a massive oh, wow. show, it was 17, 18 million people on a Saturday night. And uh, the first time I got asked in a supermarket for my autograph by a young lad and he took it back to his mum and went, who's Sharon Dana? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he wanted you to sign it with your gladiator name.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, no, I mean, it's nice now to be part of it because it was so iconic. You know, everybody either... Watched it before they went to the pet, before they went to the pub, or before they went to bed. It was it was that sort of yeah. show. It was everybody's yeah, show. Yeah,
0: it was it was a huge deal at the time. But I mean, you've done so many things, Sharon, and um, your new book, uh, which um, was, was released a couple yeah, of months one, ago. Yeah, one. we both got a copy. Um, covers yeah. all sorts of things that are relevant <laughs> to free speech and relevant to the current discussion on on transgender. And in my head, I was trying to kind of categorize the various issues that you you cover in the book and it seems to me you cover uh obviously one of the big themes actually is uh misogyny uh one of the Mm -hmm. big themes is data and I'm director of data so I'm really interested in that and then in terms of sort of big time periods you're talking about you go back a lot to you winning the Olympic medal and the East German uh, testosterone uh, drugs that were going, going around at that time. And then sort of the parallels with what we're dealing with today in the transgender debate. So those are the sorts of themes. Is that a fair representation of how you put the book together? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. So so the book is called Unfair Play. It's the the battle for women's sport. And, And I suppose I wanted to show how it's always been a battle for women's sport. You know, women have always had this real fight to get any form of autonomy or equality. You know, Pierre de Coubertin, who started the modern Olympics, did everything in his power to keep women out of the Olympic Games. So I'm very anti celebrating him next year because he wouldn't have had us there if it was down to him. Um, You know, it's, and again, things like marathon not being in until the 80s, boxing not even being into 2012. You know, we've had this constant fight. When I won my medal way back in 1980, we were outnumbered four to Mm -hmm. one, you know, women. Men to women. Um, And again, how the IOC had never been on the side of women athletes. And of course, I was around during that whole East German period where for 20 years the IOC did nothing to stop the East German nation doping their young women. To the you know to to a vile extent, Um, and they really just use them as fodder for propaganda, and so they dominated the world of women's sport uh, to the degree that in European level they won ninety two percent of all the women's medals, and practically none of the men. And nobody went, oh, that's really strange, you know. And they would bring these women out that we'd never seen before, that you know looked like men because they were being given testosterone from the age of eleven. And they would just mop up. And, you know, and in Moscow, again, when I won my medal, they had six podiums, one, two, three. So I had friends that came forth and no one's ever heard their name. And their whole lives would have been different if they'd been able to be Olympic champions. So when the the transgender situation came along, which is a different process, but the same end result, testosterone, Mm. you know, enabling young women not to be able to win races that are designed for them to win. I just thought, I can't, I can't stay silent on this. This is just not fair. And none of the science backed up what the IOC was doing. So again, they were letting women down. They just weren't fighting for equality of opportunities for female athletes. And when I say female, I mean biological females. And we know that's why we have men and women's races. If there wasn't a difference, we wouldn't have men and women's races. We just have one category. So to say that there's no difference is utterly ridiculous. We know there's a difference. And it's not that females are not, you know, or men are better. It's just we're different. We're made to do different jobs. We have different cue angles, which is our angles from our hips to our knees. You know, we have different muscle development. Our ligaments are made differently. Ours are made to stretch and they're not quite so resilient so many differences which when you when you convert it to sport means that there's anywhere between 30 and 10 percent at an olympic level and in olympic sports of difference and when we win medals by hundreds of a second you know and we fight to keep cheats out of the olympic games and out of professional sport which is why we have WADA the world anti-doping agency it just seemed mind-boggling that the IOC was saying oh we don't have a problem with letting males go into women's sport with up to a 30 percent advantage I mean that. It's just, it would never happen in men's sport. Men would never put up with that. And yet women were just expected to do it all over again, just to budge over for what ended up being very mediocre male athletes.
0: I mean, you you did the 400 individual medley race. That's where you got your silver. Well, (laughs) I don't want to call it a silver medal because I've read the book and you're quite right. You you know, the the gold was Petra Schneider, is that right? In the 1980 Moscow Olympics. And she came in 4.36, 4 minutes and 36. You came in in 4.40. Tell me if I got those numbers wrong.
1: Yeah, no, 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 that's pretty good. But if you add 9%, which is what the East Germans, um, all their paperwork showed us that they could make an improvement of 9%, which is massive. It would have put her 16 seconds behind me. And it wouldn't have even put her in the Olympic Games, let alone the Olympic final. So, you know, they they could take very mediocre female athletes and turn them into elite athletes very easily by giving them this terrible, these terrible drugs, which had awful side effects. So the the IOC let down two groups of women. You know, they let down the IOC Mm. movement, the Olympic movement and fair sport, but they let down these young girls that were just being used as fodder in East Germany, and they let down us who wanted clean sport. Um, and they did this for 20 years, you know No matter who went to them with the little blue pills, no matter how much evidence was presented to them They just pushed it away and then even when the wall came down and all that evidence was available They did nothing and they still done nothing 40 years later And
0: you went in after the wall came down after the, uh, you know, east germany reunified and interestingly, you know I read as well. I didn't know this that, um West Germany and East Germany came together and they decided, oh, we'll just grandfather in these rather nice times to our own national mm-hmm. records. So they stood in Germany as the as the uh, as the records there, which which meant it wasn't just the IOC Well, obviously, it is the IOC as regards the Olympics, but it was actually the nation, the national uh, level uh, authorities as well. But you went in and obviously this was all. The Stasi. We talked a lot about the Stasi, the free speech union, uh, the modern Stasi and the original Stasi. And you went in and you picked through and found the incontrovertible evidence afterwards.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and we had admissions as well. All of that was on tape. So we had the paperwork, we had the admissions, we had court cases, which were in the late 1990s, where they, aborted, they awarded 25 million euros as compensation. They put some people in prison, they gave them... Um, you know, sentences. So there's all this evidence. I mean, there is just so much evidence. It's utterly ridiculous. And as you mentioned, Petra Schneider's German record still stands today. I mean, some um, 40 odd years later, you know, it's just ridiculous. I
0: and mean, that doesn't happen, does it? I mean, that, that's the point. Of
1: course, we have amazing athletes like Michael Phelps, you know, who, who was probably the most supreme athlete we've seen from probably, you know, several generations. He's just lost his, his last world record. Um, to a, you know, six foot Frenchman who is built like a beanpole. So it's, um, yeah, records are meant to be broken. They're not meant to stand for, for 40, 50 years. You know, that's pretty, pretty rare um, in any sports. I mean, we have you know, fantastic athletes, obviously, throughout history, but we're all relevant to our period of time and the access to the technology and the training facility and the support that we have, you know, of that particular era, really. And what they did was because they were giving them these, these terrible drugs, they produced men's times. Yeah and um, and that's why they've been able to stand for you know for such a long time and and even petra you know when i did the documentary said would, would you like my medal and i said no because it's not your medal i particularly want to take away from her i want the acknowledgement from the ioc and i want the record books changed and i want it acknowledged that they let all of those women down you know and what they did and not to learn you know to, to, to do not do this again and yet here we are and they're doing it all over again and it's just so depressing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't need to be Hercule Poirot. This is what the book comes out so clearly in the book. You, you, at the time, before the wall came down, after the wall came down, you, you almost didn't need the, the evidence from the Stasi files because it was so obvious. When, what you've done in the book is line up kind of the times, as you say, the 10% difference, the 15% difference. You've gone back to the science. You've gone back to the data and said, look, anyone who yeah. is it's all interested in the empirical method, you know, we're always told to follow the science. Anyone interested in following the science could have known within five minutes of the end of the race that something wasn't right. Yeah,
1: so ab- absolutely. And that's all we ever wanted the IOC to do now with the trans situation is to follow the science, use the science, but they were determined not to use it. You know, and we get these awful terms which Joanna Harper pushes forward, which is meaningful sport. Well, what the hell is meaningful sport? Meaningful sport is fair sport. Mm-hmm. Meaningful sport isn't turning around to women and saying you're supposed to accept a 5% disadvantage because we fancy, you know, have it coming in and racing in your races. And what is so frustrating is that transgender male, you know, men, so that's females that are, are identifying as trans, still opt to race mm-hmm. with the women. And non-binary females... Females that identify as non-binary still opt to race with the women. And yet the males opt to race to go into the women's races because that's where they stand the best chance. And that's what's not fair. Sport should be inclusive. It absolutely must be inclusive. I've fought all my life to try and make sure that sport's available to everybody and we get access to it. And I'm passionate that kids are physically active and we try to create those habits as youngsters and carry them through our whole life. However, the first priority of competitive sport is that it's fair. It must be safe in a contact sport, it must be fair, and then we have to find ways to be inclusive. And if that means creating different categories, if it means changing the name of categories to open or whatever, then that's what we need to do. But we were throwing women's sport under the bus, should never have been what happened in the first place. And now, seven years later, we're clawing back, you know, and thank goodness for world aquatics, for track and field, uh, for world cycling at long last. But it took 50. Trans identifying males in North America, winning women's prizes and taking away their places and their trophies and their opportunities before World Cycling turned around and protected the female classification. And that should never have happened. (laughs) You know, they should have done the science first and it should have been up to the trans community to prove categorically that they have no advantage, which was never going to happen. Because if you're biologically male, you're not going to be able to change your height. You're not going to be able to change the size of your hands. You're not going to be able to change your, you know, the, the size of your heart or or the, your, your hip angle. None of these things are going to go away by just suppressing testosterone for a period of time. Um, and we know that again from the East Germans because, of course, they passed the drugs tests. So they removed the testosterone before they left East Germany to make sure that they would pass all the well, tests. You mentioned
0: that in the book, that they, they found out exactly scientifically how to kind of time all of this as well. So it wasn't just just taking the drugs, it was timing it so that, you know, the right time before the event and the right time after the event, they could, they could increase it and suppress it and even even once these athletes were retiring, they would uh, say, right, you need to swim it out. I'm not sure I'm not sure that's quite... It didn't
1: work. No, it didn't work. Because you can't swim out, you know, what damage you've done. And these poor women now have heart problems, fertility problems, liver problems. Yeah. Uh, many of them yeah. are disabled children. A few of them have actually died. Um, you know, the, the damage has been horrendous. It really has. And it's, it's ruined many of their lives. So when
0: you saw this history repeating itself, not uh, as always history never repeats itself, but it does rhyme. How quickly mm. did you think, I I mean, you were already tuned up to this. You'd missed out on your gold Olympic, Olympic gold medal. How quickly did you see this or when was it that you saw this and you thought, whoa, we are going down a very dangerous road and I need to get into it. And, and, you know, making my voice heard against, against this unfairness. Yeah.
1: I mean, the whole removal of um, sex screening was the big mistake. Mm. And when the IRC polled its athletes, in the 97, 98%, women came back and said, yes, we're very happy with with sex screening, which is a cotton bud swab to the inside of your cheek, has to be done once in your lifetime because humans cannot change their biological sex. And that's Mm. it, right? When we have to submit to sex tests, which is somebody watching you pee, having a cheek swab is a nothing. So turn around to say that's too intrusive is is an utter lie. It's just garbage. Um, So when that was removed in the, I think it was sort of around the 2000 time, that's when it started. We started to manipulate. And up until 2015, trans identifying males who'd had surgery were able to compete. But... Surgery was, um, you know, a big hurdle. Um, once that was removed in 2015, that was really when the yeah. floodgates opened. And then, obviously, yeah. at the next Olympic Games, that that was possible to have somebody. who had Laurel Hubbard in the weightlifting, and Laurel was in, you know, a 43-year-old who'd been away from competitive weightlifting for over 10 years. And that's one of the worst sports for the differences.
0: It's a 30% difference, which is
1: absolutely yeah. massive. Yeah. Um, and you set
0: that out in the book, I think, by, by sport. You've got yeah, weightlifting yeah, yeah. at one end of that scale. Um, it's a, and, and because it's more explosive.
1: And we shouldn't have to have a Laurel Hubbard. We shouldn't have to have a Leah Thomas. We shouldn't have to have a Lemony Bridges, you know, to prove the obvious, which is that males have a different physique and a physical advantage over females. It was ridiculous that we've been put in this position, that young women have lost their places. And right now, you know, even things like park run it's 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 wrong you know Park Run is all about inclusive i get that however they have course records so that is by having course records that they're bringing in a competitive element if they don't want any form of competitive element remove the course records but at the moment every single weekend biological females are losing their course records to people who are self-identifying as women males that are self-identifying as women so and if you take someone like the boston marathon um we've now got three categories men Binary, non-binary, and women where you can self-ID. So we've got three races for men to win and to win prize money. We haven't got a single race where biological females have their own classification. Anymore. Misogyny,
0: again, is, is the theme that seems to come up again and again. Is it a new kind of misogyny, um, Sharon, or is it the good yeah. old-fashioned type that's been around for millennia? I,
1: I, I guess it's probably the good old-fashioned type, but it's, but it's dressed up in virtual signaling these mm. days. And it's being used by a particularly nasty, vindictive, small group of society that are using it to attack yeah. women. You know, and if if I say something and then daily Thompson says exactly the same thing, nobody attacks daily. Yeah. But the vitriol and the and the and the attacking and the verbal abuse that I get, you know, from men who will then go and ring every single one of my employers, every single one of the charities I work for, every single company that I have anything to do with, to literally try their damnedest to make my life as as much of a living hell as they possibly can. Literally because I say no. That's it. No, it's unfair. (laughs) But if Daly says, no, it's unfair, they leave him alone. You know, So I mean, so it is a form of, of very nasty misogyny. And,
0: you know, when we think of J.K. Rowling and the attacks that go on her, and her podcast series was, was The Witch Trials, of J.K. Rowling. It, and, and that was, seemed to me yeah. to be exactly the right uh, name for that, the way that it's that same pile on to someone who oh, is a woman and is daring to say what she thinks and to say this is wrong and to call it out, and the pile-on is, as you say, totally asymmetric for the women versus the men. The men can just get away with it. It's, it's... It, it's
1: as if women's feelings and women's rights don't matter as much as men's feelings and men's rights. So, you know, we often hear about the feelings of some trans-identifying male who wants to be in women's sport, but we never hear about the feelings of the female that you're asking to budge over and give up their dream. Yeah. You know, so it's it's one-sided all the time. And it's so disheartening that the media have bought into this, that a lot of the mainstream media, you know, have literally just thrown women under the bus, the PC, virtual signalling, feelings brigade. You know, how do we run a sport based on feelings? We can't do that. It's impossible. You have to run a sport based on a biological reality and a set of rules that you apply to everybody and and we have to find space for everybody, but it has to be a fair space, you know, and that's that's really all my point has ever been, it's never been one which is anti-trans, I have friends that have transgender children, and I, you know, and I, I think of them as my friends, and and they're welcome in my house anytime, and they know that, and they come, um, this is just a pro-women position that I've always had.
0: The BBC, and as you say, other, we've talked about this before on this podcast, that it has very real consequences as well, throwing this confusion into the room where something is reported. Uh, you, you know, a woman has attacked someone, and you read the article, and it's not till you get to the last line it says, "Oh, this is such and such who identifies as a woman." The language is is not just sneaky and mendacious; it's also really uh, dangerous. And if you know, if, if, you're, if the police are looking for someone. And it's confusingly described on the media, then they' look they'll be looking for a woman when actually it's a, it's a tall six foot three guy who's gone in and committed the crime and it it's dangerous and in sport, you know caving in people's skulls in in i don't know rugby or 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 know, yeah, one of those species.
1: breaking necks, you know, which is which is much more likely to happen, and and we've got huge problem in places like Australia and New Zealand, who allow self identification into women's rugby teams, mm. and if a woman complains, she is dropped from the team. Yeah. So what we're finding is that women are self-excluding, you know, for safety reasons, or parents of young girls are removing their young girls if they've turned up and there's, there's you know, a male on the opposition, and they know that the increased risk to them is quite considerable, and so it shouldn't take a life-changing injury or worse still a death of a female. A female athlete. Before we go, this is dangerous. We know it's dangerous. World Rugby have done all the science. They've presented it and said this isn't dangerous. It increases the risk of serious injury by a minimum of twenty percent. So I I, I just can't understand. And sadly, what happens is that the lobby tends to use the kindness of women against us as well. You know, we're, we're, we are a bit notorious for putting ourselves at the bottom of the list. Husband, the children and the dog even come, you know, sometimes before, <laughs> before, before some women do in the household. And so women get, get hit over the head with these words, be kind. Oh. Can you imagine using that for men when they said to Lance Armstrong, oh, well, let's be kind to Lance Armstrong. You know, let's just let him carry ben on. Johnson, ben
0: Johnson, <laughs> let's be kind. He's sweet. He ran so fast.
1: Then we just laugh in your face. It's just, and yet that's being used by women, and there are a lot of handmaidens, unfortunately, which kind of go, "Oh, well, it's only one or two, but it's not one or two. It really is very large numbers." And the more, the more that it's allowed, the more that it will happen, mm-hmm. and you know, pathways will be ruined for through to elite sport. Opportunities will be lost. For example, in the UK, a um, thousand women earn their living from sport. Eleven thousand men. <laughs> So our piece of the cake is already tiny, right? We get nowhere near the same sort of money, you know, for playing professional football, professional rugby or whatever. The ECB, one of the worst offenders, still self-identification with regards to allowing males into female sport, have never even had a major test at Lords for women.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: after all this time you know a lot of those very mis- misogynistic sport cycling is a very misogynistic sport run by men for men and i've worked you know and really don't work terribly hard to try and create some sort of equal platform and it's it's just a battle all the time hence the book hence, hence book. the words the battle for yeah. women's sport that's what it feels like this constant battle to just say hey hang on you know why there shouldn't there be some sort of parody and i appreciate that there's a market force don't get me wrong i i am a great believer in common sense and and statistics and facts and working with what we got. But what, you know, what the FA needs to do is to work hard to build the women's game, um, to give equality. I mean, we had a great women's team during the Second World War and then immediately after the Second World War, all the men came back from the war. Women were banned from playing football.
0: Well, and you...
1: For for 30-plus years. You you
0: made the (laughs) point of the the, the women's uh, in swimming again, the 200 IM. I think you made the point that the two hundred ind- yeah. individual medley sort of got cut from yeah. from from the, from the Olympic uh, roster.
1: Yeah, my second event, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all sorts of examples. You know, all the way through, the first woman who tried to to run in the Boston Marathon, literally being tackled. You know, yeah. off of the course um and all she wanted to do was was to run the marathon you know along with all the fellas it it's yeah it's it has been this this huge fight and um and now we've taken a massive step backwards but we are winning and i have to say the uk is leading the way which is really good to see but it's it's frightening how much power this very small minority seem to have and how just trying to get them to debate trying to get them to be honest try to get to be allowed to use the science is so difficult.
0: We, we, we've we talked about this and, and have various theories about why it is so difficult for the data to cut through. Um, and, uh, you know, it does seem that there's this interlock across, say, take the IOC in the sporting world, there'd be an interlock then with the corporate world and where the advertising money comes and an interlock with various other governing organisations and institutions, and that they all move into this way of looking at an issue like uh, transgender at the same time, in the same way. And the activists are so clever in the way that they yeah. get these organisations to sign up to a pledge or whatever it may be. So, you know, if you're a big corporate in America, you sign up to a pledge, which is we'll be kind, which is actually a threat. It's be kind or else. Yeah. Uh, will be kind. Yeah. And then everyone in the organisation says, well, now, now's your opportunity to prove your kind by agreeing to this. And the money flows. And if you push back against it, the money stops. And that, So that's kind yeah. of a theory we're working out.
1: It's weird, isn't it? Because who are they being kind to, though? They're not being kind to half the world's population. You know, that's what's so kind of crazy with all of this. And actually, if you poll, which is what we've also tried to do, so we've tried to force the, the governing bodies to poll their, their members. And British Rowing just recently have protected the female category and Bagminton came out last night as well. Fantastic. Um, but the moment you poll, over 80 percent of the members want fair sport. Yeah. It took, you know, it took the IOC and, and other governing bodies over seven years to ask a single female athlete how they felt about this we were literally just just excluded from conversations about our own category of sport right wow. wow. so i mean it's just mind-boggling really they invited every single trans activist and you know trans identifying doctor to come and give them evidence but not a single single female was asked to come along and help or give their give their point of view nobody was polled so if we can get get governing bodies to poll we know categorically that the general public yeah. And the sporting members want fair sports.
0: It's like those private messages that we get, Sharon. You know, it can be on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or anything. You put something up that is against the orthodoxy. If you're brave enough to put your, your head over the parapet. And speaking as a man, I don't tend to get a pile on, but I'm not on Twitter. Because uh, I just... Can't face it, or X as it's called (laughs) now. But uh, you know, we 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 get away with that. But then I get all these private messages. I get, you know, that, thanks for that. That's great, great to see you doing that. Great, you know, fabulous to see. And that can be as, in a work context as well, in a corporation, people who may be gender critical in the workplace. They get all of these private messages saying support. And there's a good reason why they're not putting their head over the parapet because not everyone's got mm-hmm. your strength, Sharon, for example, in being able to say, hey, I'm going to put my hand up and I'm just not going to lie to the world anymore. Um, but, you know, that, that, that is another element of this. Yeah. People do, th- when you actually ask Absolutely. them, they you believe in it.
1: I know. I mean, I have a daughter and I now have a granddaughter. And so, you know, I feel like I have to speak for them. I feel like I have to speak for young females that come behind. I have to speak up because of the generation that suffered during my period of time. And I just don't want to see it again. Um, and I just, I get frustrated That if all the people that are sitting on the fence or even aren't sitting on the fence are firmly behind, you know, what we're saying, spoke out, this would be sorted out really quickly. And yet it's that silence, it's that intimidation, which is working so very well. And you can understand through history why terrible things happen because people stay silent. Yeah. And so we have to have the absolute destruction and and mind-boggling damage that's done before people pull back and then put things right and you know and it's back to that stupid you know situation where you go we have men and women's sport for a reason why all of a sudden have we decided there's no difference biologically just because you say I feel like a woman and my point to that is well how do you know what it feels like to be a woman (laughs) because you know you don't menstruate you haven't been you know yeah had a really tough tough opportunity that not had the opportunities that, that that men get you've lived your life most of the time as a man with all the opportunities that 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 sort of enables you to have um and yes we have got much better equality than we've ever had I mean I remember my mum saying to me that the first house she bought with my dad came from money from my granddad and um and my mum wasn't even allowed to be on the mortgage
0: <laughs> it's not that long ago is it either it's
1: not that long ago you know and that's when I the younger generation are just not aware of that, unfortunately. Then They don't realise how much past generations of women have had to fight yeah. to get it. I mean,
0: Germaine Greer, for example, being shunned. I mean, Germaine Greer dedicated her whole life oh. in the most astonishing way to the feminist cause. And love her or loathe her, she was quite a formidable... Woman, I used to remember, I remember watching her on the late night talk shows and thinking, okay, what's, what's Jermaine going to say here? It's going to be interesting. And then to c- just cancel her because she, she yeah. says what she thinks about sex. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, because she tells the truth. Tells
0: the truth. You know, it's
1: this thing where she tells the truth. That's the problem. It's telling the truth rather than enabling a feeling to prob- yeah. I'm all for people being safe, however they would like to identify. You know, I think this is probably the big area. You talked about, you know, Sex crimes and criminal acts, and the fact that men—you know—in this country, in some countries, Australia, New Zealand, it's ninety-nine percent. In this country, it's ninety-eight percent of men commit sexual offences. So that's why women are frightened when they get put into space Is that
0: ninety-eight percent? Ninety-eight percent of men commit sexual offences, or within sexual offences, ninety-eight percent of them are men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
1: it. Within sexual offences, ninety-eight percent of yeah. them are men. Yeah. 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 So, not- <laughs> so you know, so obviously, not ninety-eight percent of men commit sexual offences. Sorry, I worded that wrongly, but you know exactly I do, what I mean. Yeah. It's so, women grow up walking under the lights, moving away from someone that makes them intimi- you know, feel intimidated, not putting themselves in a room with a single man that they don't know that they think is, would overpower them. They did grow up doing that. It's just a natural instinct, it's one of those things that you do. And so, again, we're back to safeguarding issues. And we've recently had a problem with, with the British um, age group swimming championships where they had, you know, a 65-year-old male who identified as a female walking in and out of the girls' changing rooms whilst 12- and 13- or 14-year-old girls were putting on their swimsuits to compete. And the parents complained about it, and the governing body did nothing until practically the end of the competition. So this, this male's feelings of wanting to walk in and out of the girls' changing rooms, which he didn't need to do because they were volunteering on the side of the pool... You know, these poor girls, I mean, some racing swimming suits take a long time to get in and out, right? They're mm-hmm. not the easiest things in the world to get in and out of. So you've literally got no clothes on and you're struggling with this blimmin' suit to try and get it on. And this person is walking in and out of their changing rooms. Now, why is that allowed? Why are all those girls and their dignity and, 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 and them being so uncomfortable about it, just, just and their, their feelings... So unimportant to this one person's feeling, who at the age of sixty-five decided that they now feel like a female, and they put a skirt on and a red wig, and they're walking through the changing room.
0: What's what's the? Where are the parents? It's not
1: right. It's just not right. The parents complain. Yeah,
0: if I were a parent in that environment, yes, I would complain, but I'd try to do more than that. I would try to say, look, this this cannot happen again. That cannot be allowed to happen. I'm not. Because I think something that comes out in the book is that a lot of parents end up withdrawing because they can't push back hard enough. They actually say, right, my child will no longer participate. And that's in in sport when it's unfair and they're worried about their safety. But also if they're worried about their safety in the changing room, Um, that seems to be...
1: Or in prison. Yeah. You know, how insane is it that you would actually put a sexual offender, a male sexual offender, in a cell with a vulnerable woman? Yeah. I mean, it's mind-boggling insane. It's insane. I mean, it really, why are we having to think about this? You know, it's like, why can't we just create a, a wing on a men's prison and put all those that feel like a woman in there?
0: We often find, Sharon, that um, whatever we're talking on the, about around the free speech issues, whatever we're talking about, we think, well, if we went back to 2010 or if we went back to 2000 and we spoke to people at that time and said, do you know that in 2023... We're going to be arguing about whether a man who's 65 years old should be allowed to walk into a a female changing room where there are youngsters changing. And I think everyone you would speak to in the year 2000 would look at you and go, don't be stupid, you're a conspiracy yeah. theorist. You're a fantasist.
1: It's the same. If you said, you know, we're going to have a women's race now at the Olympics, but any male that feels like they're a woman, come in and just race. No worries, do what you like. <laughs> We'd all go, "What?" Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it that's how it's kind of got to this crazy position where there just doesn't seem to be any logic with what we're doing at the moment. There are ways that we can protect the trans community. There are ways that we can, that we can help. And, you know, this is about um, someone who's a transgender woman, a male that identifies as a woman, feeling safe in a man's space. That's what we need to be sorting out. We shouldn't have to put them in a woman's space for them to feel safe and then make all those women feel unsafe which is what's been happening. It's about men fixing their problem. If a transgender woman feels unsafe in a man's space, then that's what we need to fix. And it's the same with sport. You know, If a transgender man, a biological female, can identify as a man and race with the women and women have no problem with it, providing they're obviously not taking testosterone, then why can't the same happen the other way around?
0: But it, it doesn't. And sport is so absolute. That's another thing I've I've heard you talk about, Sharon, just about how sport is such an important part in people's life whether you're elite or not but finding out what sport you enjoy which sport you enjoy finding out okay I can participate in that sport and I can compete in that sport the amount of stuff that that will set you up for in life you know in terms of perseverance in terms of uh, mental health in terms of resilience oh, and gosh, robustness sure. you know I mean speaking personally I I'm a swimmer I don't know if you know anything about swimming Sharon but
1: <laughs> shoulders, eventually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't go I would say two or three days without getting in the pool because it totally centers my My sort of how I'm how I'm interacting with the world, and it only takes me half an hour, you know, a few hundred meters swimming, and I'm I'm back to you know level.
1: Sport is physical exercise is massively underestimated for what it does for our mental Mm -hmm. health. So we know that it helps our body to stay fit. You know, we know it's good for our cardiovascular. We know it maintains muscles and flexibility and fitness and so on. But what it does for you mentally to be away from that telephone, to be in living in that moment to be releasing endorphins, which is our, our, our nature's antidepressants, is so incredibly important. You are absolutely hit the nail on the head with results of resilience, you know, and that ability of being knocked down in sport and learning that you train harder and you get back up and you go again. We're not doing our kids any favors by wrapping them in cotton wool, you know, because when they go for their first job interview and they don't get it, how do they cope if they've never failed? They've never been allowed to fail and understand that life is about learning from your failures. You know, I learned my best lessons from the things that went wrong. Yeah. The things that went right, you don't learn lessons from those. You just carry on, right? But when something goes wrong, you kind of go back and you analyze and you work it out and you try to fix it. But if we don't do that with our kids, then we have this whole generation that aren't very resilient And that's a massive problem. And we know that we have rising mental health issues. We know we have rising self-harm issues. And it's all very linked to, you know, to the social media and and the development of smart telephones and living online instead of living in the moment, doing physical activity and interacting with your friends face to face, not online. And how we fix that problem going forward, I don't know, because... It's it's a huge problem that 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 you know is affecting society today. But
0: what you and again I've heard you say this is that um, you, you've got three, four, five year olds uh, doing their first bit of sport, doing their sports day, and you know egg and spoon or tying themselves up in a sack or whatever it is. I used to hate it. Uh, But, yeah, it's a great day for the kids, a great day for the parents. And now these sports days are mixed. And some of the parents are Mm -hmm. finding themselves, they have to withdraw their daughters because the boys are already bigger. So as you said, I think think you've said it's about getting the right categories for the right thing. But if you have a bad experience at that age, six, seven or eight, that'll knock you and you may never come back to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, what we found in this last summer was that a lot of primary schools in particular were running co ed mixed races, Mm. and little girls weren't winning anything. Mm. So, their parents were getting hold of me and saying, My little girl's come back from sports day, and no little girl has won a single race. Mm. Mm. What message are we giving little girls? We're basically telling little girls they're not worthy. That's what we're saying to them. You know, you're not worthy of fair sport, you're not worthy of your opportunities. You have to play second fiddle. And so they're self-excluding. You know, and, and this is madness. How difficult is it for a primary school to run two races? You know, how difficult is it to turn around and, and say, we can be kind, but we're still gonna be fair. And we're still gonna give opportunities to everybody, not just people that are born male. So, you know, it's um it's gotta stop. And I mean, I, I, I'm trying to work with the government. I'm trying to work with the quality ministers to get the Equality Act clarified. No one would have ever thought what we needed to clarify the word sex, right? Everybody knows what sex means. Everybody knows what that was meant when it was written into that Equality Act in 2010. But now we need to get the word biological sex put in front of that. So basically we can use the law to enact sex discrimination, which is what's happening at the moment. Yeah. So... I'm very keen to try and do that. I would love to see the House of Commons, the House of Lords, put that through to make that absolutely crystal clear that that's what that means in the Equality Act. And then we're in a position where we can legally do a lot more um, to insist that primary schools and park run and sporting bodies give equal opportunity to the two different sexes. And hermaphrodite doesn't exist. You know, we need to use English language properly. Male means a male, a biological male female means a biological female, a woman means an adult female, you know, a girl means a junior female. This is what these words mean. There's nothing wrong with being a trans woman. Be a trans woman, be a trans man. That word needs respect, and it needs understanding. But stop conflating language so that we don't understand what we're talking about anymore. And it's disgraceful with things like the National Health Service when, you know, women are cervix havers, or chest feeders. This never happens to men. They don't turn around when they do prostate and talk about, you know, prostate owners. Men still get called men. It's attack on women all the time in our language. And it's men that are enabling this attacking. And women, unfortunately, sometimes that are giving into it. And and we need to be a little bit stronger and, and fight because when we lose it, as we've seen with sport, it's very hard to claw it back. Well, I mean, here we are in 2013 and the rule changed in 2015 and we're still clawing it
0: back. You know? Well, the, your point about words mattering, and particularly the NHS, which has hit the news today, we're recording on a Tuesday, and there's been that story of some um, someone who actually ended up not getting her cancer treatment because uh, she said that she didn't want to be looked after by a... a trans and I always get it the wrong way around by a trans woman um and the NHS essentially said right we're not going to give you the care you need and that (laughs) led with cancer time matters so I mean it's absolutely appalling and
1: and this woman was talking about intimate care and I think that's really important to understand you know she was talking about intimate care by someone by a trans identifying male and again the Equality Act does protect her and they were wrong to do that. And and I don't really understand when we know that, you know, there's been a huge rise in assaults in hospitals. Yes. So this woman has every reason to be scared. And so she's just asking for her feelings to matter.
0: You wouldn't know that from the BBC. If if someone's assaulted in hospital, well there are no men on this women's ward. That's what that's what the BBC is is, is reporting. I've got one last question, Sharon, uh, about about this the um, the current whatever we want to call it culture wars, woke wars. The and you won't be surprised that in that the free speech union we have a lot of cases, a third of which relate to this issue of gender critical mm-hmm. um, uh, women, particularly being having their views stifled a
1: view view which is protected in law and you guys know that you know you've done the most amazing job we shouldn't have a need for the free speech union but we do and you do an incredible job but we know from you know from mayor's case that gender critical believing in biology crazy we have to say that is a protected character you know a protected view um which the vast majority of the general public also have that same view it's only a small minority of people that don't believe that, that believe that feelings are more important than the reality of the body you actually have.
0: I mean, this is exactly what, what we see again and again and again. And, you know, what this has done is is created a lot of accidental activists, people who would never have thought that they would end up having to put their head over the parapet. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe they're not going as far as writing an excellent book. But they are, (laughs) they are, you know, they're setting up groups, they're setting up uh, little spaces within their workplace, where they're, they're, they're arguing for the other side, they're arguing for gender critical views. And they never expected it to happen. And so I guess my question is, what would you say to someone who suddenly, without warning, finds themselves in a position where they do want to put their head over the parapet, and they just don't know how to go about it. Um, And, and you, you, you've you been there, done that. So that I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Um, I mean, there's some wonderful organizations out there, like you mentioned, you know, Fair Play for Women, Sex Matters, you know, so there's always ways to be able to contact them and ask and you can help. Sometimes I think it's just even helping with a little bit of financing because, you know, these organizations do not have the massive amounts of money that come from lobbying groups and very big commercial organizations which which fund groups like Stonewall. Um, so, you know, it, even if it's just you know, a few quid mm. to be able to help people who are fighting or to help, you know, the free speech union, you are supporting people that are pushing back and, and, you know, every time we have a law case, pretty much we win. You know, the law is our, is on our side. It's just, we're not even being allowed to interpret the law properly at the moment. And, and a lot of misinformation is being spread which I kind of blame the government a little bit for not stopping. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, sh- it they should be stopping misinformation being being given to organisations. They should be explaining what the Equality Act actually means extremely strongly. Um, they shouldn't be allowed allowing young children to be told that they can change their sex. Yeah. You know, you are lying to kids who will eventually find out that that is a lie. Um, you know, so I think we, we have to be very honest because it's a very slippery dangerous slope and and we know there are a lot of class actions in the background now you know with detransitioners coming together and it probably will be the law which eventually will stop all of this mm. you know it's always money isn't it you know it always comes back to money at the end of the it's day it's money sex no or power
0: i find in, in life sharon and, oh. and the there's the idea of occam's razor which is the simplest explanation is usually the best uh, and yeah. so follow the money, follow the power, or follow the sex, and that will normally Absolutely. get you there. Well, are we allowed to say sex now? <laughs> yes, we are. That's the point.
1: And, it's, and the collateral damage is going to be is going to be huge, yeah. you know. So, and at some stage we are going to have to face that. But, and, and that breaks my heart as well. And I think that's what JK Rowling sees. And that's what that's her, you know, that's her hill that she's dying mm-hmm. on. And my hill is first four. Um but we all understand each other's position because you have to. If you want to talk knowledgeable about this, you have to do your research. And and that was what was so important with the book. You know, you talked about it being stats and you being stat man. It was really important that I put 18 studies in there that we showed exactly what we were talking about that we verified everything that we refed everything you know there's not a single study in the world that shows that you can remove male puberty advantage and the last one came out of brazil um in september of last year was one of the the biggest was one of the longest is after 14 years and still we couldn't even remove a fraction of the physical advantage by suppressing testosterone after 14 years so you know it's What I wanted with the book was to create a handbook to give people the knowledge and the power to fight back, um, because there's so much misinformation out there. You know, it's that. Well, that was part of the reason for it, really. And and to write the story, and even Mm. some of the stuff that came out of East Germany, I thought I knew most of it. But my co-author Craig Lord, whose whose wife was part of the East German program, I mean, some of the horrendous things that they did. You know, and I have nothing but contempt for the IOC. I mean, I think that they are a travesty of an organisation. I really do. They're, you know, such a tiny amount of the money that they get goes back to the athletes. And yet it's all about the athletes. The Olympics should be athlete-centric. Every international sporting event should be athlete-centric. It shouldn't be about the sponsors. It shouldn't be about the officials. It shouldn't be about the volunteers or the cronies or whatever. You know, it's about the athletes. And and that, that gets, that's being lost. And we're seeing... You know, even the risk of things like the Commonwealth Games disappearing Mm. because we've turned we turned the Commonwealth Games into a circus rather than a sporting event. You know, we have to have a village that's purpose built. We have to have a ridiculously expensive opening and closing ceremony. and have all these activities going on all over the place around it. No, we don't. It's a
0: circus with some swimming attached or it's a circus with a bit of running.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what we have to have. Put the athletes in fantastic, you know, sporting, I don't know, student accommodation that's still there. Use brilliant swimming pools that already exist in London, in Melbourne, in Sydney, in, you know, Montreal. We don't have to build and spend these ridiculous amounts of money, which makes it too expensive for cities to want to host it. That's not what sport needs. Sport just needs to centre the athletes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sharon, this is an amazing book. That you have written and um, actually at the Free Speech Union one of our founder members uh, Alan Hearn has actually made it possible uh, for this to be sent to over 80 national and international sporting bodies with an accompanying letter uh, so thank you.
1: Which I, saw, which I saw and which obviously yeah it was very important we put together yeah. thank you know, thank you thank you for doing that as I said that was the, the idea was to create a reference book yeah. you know to help people to understand the truth and to give them the hopefully the the courage um, to do the right thing.
0: Well, I mean, we're really grateful to you, Sharon, for putting this together. Um, You're a big, big voice in the sporting world and quite rightly so. Um, Incredibly resilient and, and for me, a personal hero in all sorts of ways because swimming is my life, so. All the way through they this, all, all the way through this conversation, <laughs> I've resisted asking you questions about why did you choose 400 individual medley. That's a silly, silly thing to choose, but I'm only impressed.
1: Do you know what? It was what I was good yeah. at. I wish I'd been good at the 50 or the 100 freestyle. I was good enough to be part of relays that won medals, you know. But um, but 400 IM is just my natural talent.
0: It's a crazy. Oh, I was stuck. It it's it. a crazy event. I mean, 100 100 <laughs> fly is a crazy event, and that's that's a quarter of the way through it. <laughs> I
1: know. That's what we start with 100 fly. I know, 100 meters on each stroke. I always found it really interesting, you know. It was it meant that I could do training, you know. I had to train for everything. I had to train for all the mixed tumble i had to train for all the different strokes mm. so at least it meant that, that training was always interesting but i don't miss the hundred thousand meters that i used to have to swim every week in the middle of them in winter
0: hundred thousand meters yeah. well i do 3k in one in one session so that would be 33 sessions <laughs> a week I imagine you did five or six K in a particular session. Oh no.
1: Most sessions were seven or eight K. Yeah. And we were doing two sessions in the pool a day and then a session in the gym. And my worst training session, I got asked this week about what was one of my toughest training sessions by daily, actually daily Thompson. And I remember my dad saying, you could do a hundred hundreds or you could do 52 hundreds or you could do 25, four hundreds. And I chose the 25, four hundreds cause I would be finished first. <laughs> And, yeah, so that took like two hours and five minutes, I think it
0: was, or something like that. Yeah. Those, are, those are numbers outside. I mean, they're astronomical. That's the difference between an elite sports person and, uh, and uh, you know, a simple club swimmer like me. Well, <laughs> Sharon, thank you so much. It's been a really fantastic conversation. Well. Um, and I'm sure, you know, our listeners have thoroughly enjoyed that. And um, just to remind our listeners, the book is called Unfair Play. The Battle for Women's Sport. It's out in all good bookshops and online. And uh, do join the Free Speech Union if you haven't. Uh, as normal, uh, we have full members, discount members. Go to our website, freespeechunion.org, and you'll find all the details there. But thank you, Sharon, for being with us. And uh, thank you so thank you. Uh, speak to you soon, or see you soon, I'm sure. Take
1: care. Good swimming.